Welcome to the Paradox PT Podcast. I'm Leo Falzon. Today, I'm speaking with Isha Sharma. Isha is a resident physiotherapist practicing at two clinics in Toronto, Umana Health, where I've had the pleasure to get to know her as a colleague, and BodyCo Health and Wellness Clinic. Isha is a rare breed in physiotherapy, which in my view is a field where most people just practice the way they were taught in school or by their last CI. Isha is somebody who has a really good understanding of first principles and who thinks outside the box and is really, really creative in the way that she practices. She has training in therapeutic yoga and Vipassana meditation, which I think she integrates very effectively into her treatments. And from a big picture perspective, she has an interesting take on where our current model of physio is lacking and how it might be best reformed in the future. I think this is a really, really valuable episode, no matter who you are, if you're a new grad or a seasoned clinician or a lay person, there's probably something in here that would be interesting to you. We touch on breathing mechanics as it relates to the pelvic floor, get into the nuts and bolts on that. We touch more big picture on the impact of social media on the profession, which I think is a really important conversation. And we even touch about pay, touch on payment models, so how a membership model might differ and from uh, the, the session by session model we're all used to, and how it might be better to get to enhance patient outcomes. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Isha Sharma. All right, so Isha, thanks so much for making the time to chat. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Um, do you mind just starting off by introducing yourself to our, our four to six listeners? Yeah. Okay, so hi, I'm Isha. I am a still a resident physiotherapist, but hopefully not for too much longer. Um, I just moved back to Toronto. I was a graduate from the University of Toronto, went back to Calgary to work for a bit, then I'm back here again because I cannot make up my mind. And uh, yeah, I do a little bit of a little bit of everything, and I like to pride myself on having a bit of a different, like, different way to play when it comes to physio. I like to incorporate yoga, like mindfulness, um, and whatever else is on my mind at the time. So, anyways, that's a little bit about me. Um, and so you you mentioned yoga, and I thought that might be an interesting place to to yeah. start. I know that's kind of part of your your cultural background. Yeah, yeah. What what was your first exposure to yoga, and how is it? grown over time it's hard to say I think like I, I literally say it's hard to say because it's something I've always had a relationship with growing up and um like as it is part of my culture like I was born a Hindu and so like meditation um prayer was all part of like the yogic uh, aspect of what I grew up with and so I remember like in my teens practicing it just not like super uh, regularly. I'd never go into a class or anything, but I liked to do it. I did it with my parents. I would do it with the temple. Um, and then I decided, you know what, let's kind of continue on with this. So for a while, it was like my primary form of movement. And, um, and I decided that, um, following my undergrad, I was going to do a yoga teacher training and I was going to go back to India to do it. Um, and I wasn't, sorry, I'm born in Canada. So when I say back, I go, I go every few years, but I decided this would be a bit of a different trip as an adult and to kind of do my own thing. So, yeah. And what was like, tell me about the trip to India. Like, I feel like that'd be really interesting for people. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. India. So my family, I have family members in New Delhi. So we landed there because it's typical people go and I stayed there for a little bit. And I often remark that New Delhi is probably my least favorite place on this planet. <laughs> it's, really? There's a lot going on there. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. It's overwhelming. And uh, and it's hard because... And there's like a personal aspect of it too that's difficult because that's like where my family is from. Mm -hmm. And uh, I often remarked it's like I got a really kind of easy life out here. Like even so something so simple as being able to breathe like good clean air. And I had to like kind of deal with the fact that I'm like this could have been my life and I'm very opposed I don't like it mm. and so I had to deal with a lot of like personal truths there um and then we went up to a place called Rishikesh which is in the foothills of the Himalayas and we checked out some yoga schools there and it was really good it was very different you were like right by the bank of the Ganges river uh you're like in the foothills so like not mountains but like big rolling hills like <laughs> lots of monkeys <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so I stayed at an ashram for about a month and a half and I did the wow. yoga teacher training there so yeah you woke up early early like you know went down to the little workroom area there's only like six of us um like different teachers depending on what you were learning I had to like wash my clothes by hand I had to like eat very like pure vegetarian meals which were also delicious nice um yeah and then they had like dogs on I guess the grounds because they had to like chase away the monkeys and the dogs are very very cute so yeah. I, it was a very pleasant time yeah 
Yeah, no kidding. Um, so you finished up the, the big yoga teacher training. Yeah. And that was just before you went to physio school? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I took a year from my uh, after undergrad to uh, look into what I wanted to do more of. So I applied for physio school because that was just felt like the next right thing to do. And then in that year, I was also like, I'm going to go to India. And so when I got back, I was working for a little bit, like for my parents or doing whatever, keeping myself busy. And then I got the acceptance letter for U of T, which was great because I wanted to leave Calgary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then by like three months later, I was I was living in Toronto. And why why physio? Like what drew you to physio? Yeah, that's a good question. So I never grew up athletic at all. Um, I, I was like one of those drama geeks. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like president of my drama club in, nice. in high school. Yeah, you're the um, elite level drama geek. I don't yeah. know if I want to like be prideful of that or not, but uh, that's that's who I am. So we're sticking with it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then in undergrad, uh, a series of things happened that kind of pushed me into different directions. Um, I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues, and so at the time. Um, my brother was like seeing a personal trainer and because, you know, personal trainers make money through referrals, whatnot, uh, he roped me into it and I was like, oh, look, I don't need this. I'm a yogi. I don't need to like lift weights. It'll be fine. Um, and he's like, okay, just like go through this, like, you know, it's a classic personal trainer. Go through this test with me and show me like what you can do and what you're lacking. And I, I look in hindsight and I'm like, oh my gosh, rolling my eyes. It's not... Not what you needed to do, but it was a good selling tactic. And I was like, okay, well, I definitely want to improve. I can't, I don't know what my lats are and I want to be able to feel them. Yeah. Those kind of things. So I got on board and then that was the beginning of a five-year stint of like regularly work training. So I worked with this uh, personal trainer on and off. Like I, I went to physio school. I worked out on my own. Then I went back to Calgary and I hired him back on. Really? So I learned all about like the mechanics of squatting, like lifting, um, deadlifts. That took me years to get, but I feel like I'm finally at a place where I like <laughs> yeah. them. Um, and it just helped like through everything that my life went through, like all the really highs and the really lows, like exercise was always there for me so from like a mental health standpoint i was like this is incredibly powerful and also i feel better than i've ever felt in my life because i'm physically healthy and active mm-hmm. um i think at that point in my life i could actually do a pull-up but i can't <laughs> anymore i've gained a bit of weight so it's fine <laughs> it's interesting like there's so many yogis that are just yogis and yeah so many you know strength training people that are just power lifters yeah but, it's cool to be able to do a little bit of both and have yeah. like one foot on each side of the fence. And I realized yeah. that if yoga was supposed to be my form of fitness, and now I decide, now I decided I needed a certain level of like athleticism and like ability to do things in my life. Yoga couldn't cut it because it became more of a spiritual practice for me, mm. and there was so much more than just like the asana practice. So it was like I needed something that I could be like go hard, like make compete with myself, like challenge myself. And yoga wasn't supposed to be that way. Yoga was supposed to be the thing that like held me when things were difficult. Mm. And like, I believed in that so much, but I believed in both of them that I wanted to bring that to my practice of physio because I just felt like physical therapy could be transcended beyond just the physical body. I think it needed to be so much more than just, you know, you have a sprained ligament, let's fix it. As we know, like Mm -hmm. things aren't so black and white. They, they transcend different experiences. Yeah. And I think you're probably one of the only, I don't think I've met another physio who so explicitly incorporates a practice like yoga into, you know, clinical treatments. I know that there are people who do that. I know there's a whole field of people who are like fizzy yogis and that's kind of like my little Instagram handle thing. I think I'm going to change it. Who knows? But anyways, um, (laughs) it's like this idea that yoga actually fits so well, not in just like physical therapy, but also like pelvic physiotherapy, which I also do. Um, it's just this like aspect of like bringing your awareness back to yourself and understanding what's going on in your body. Um, and so because it's such a small community of people who are doing that, I was able to seek out the right mentors to help me, which was awesome because, because it's a small community you're like you have the right people in your pocket and they're the ones telling you're like oh you've you've got an idea you've got a good thing keep going yeah and because of that like following my university I guess career I was like lucky enough to get like a bit of a fellowship like a good amount of money to help me progress on that road so I'm like working through medical therapeutic yoga which is just so much information but a lot of it I can take and like put it next to physiotherapy and have a framework to help. This is how I'm going to do physio from a yoga perspective. Yeah. Which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And so you said that like a lot of the yoga um, philosophy that you do is very spiritually informed. Yeah. Um, 
is it hard to fully extricate it from that and make it kind of this like kind of morph it into this biomedical yeah. insurance model of physio. It is. Like, At yeah. first it was extraordinarily difficult because I was really fighting my own biases about like, it has to be this way um, or it has to be this way. Like one way it's like spiritual, one way it's like grounded in science and physical. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it was just like, that's not actually what people need. People need like authentic, like abilities to be with themselves. So if they're only at like, certain level of like spirituality you're never going to push that nor would I want to but there's like an an element of like oh like how is this affecting like my family life when I can't go for walks when everyone else is going for these evening walks like it frustrates me it's amazing if you probe hard enough to see like what is the real reason people are coming to physio I want to be independent again I don't want to like age like my parents like all of these things which I think are grounded in like deeply philosophical things and the yoga philosophy is a lot of a, a lot of that but more so, it's just like, can we get to understand more about a person? Like, really see them as a whole person, rather than just, like, the biomedical aspect of things. Which, you know, rubs up a, a little bit against, like, the insurance models, but I just I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that there's enough to justify it uh, in my notes that I feel comfortable with it. Yeah. We're definitely at a, this weird, like, point in the physiotherapy profession where, yeah. I don't know, for decades and decades, it was just this biomedical find dysfunctions, treat dysfunctions, yeah. fi- fix the person approach. And now, like, when we went through school, the biopsychosocial approach was definitely uh, hammered into us. Yeah. But there's a lot to it. Like the bi- Like, the BPS model basically says... Just everything matters a lot. Yeah. And, you know, understanding the psychological and social determinants of health yeah. is really critical. But then it's like, what what do you do with that? Yes. And how do you actually integrate that? That was a point you made yeah. a few weeks ago that I thought was really interesting. Thank you for remembering that. Yeah. <laughs> I say things and then I forget I them immediately. I bookmark these in my brain. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I remember thinking that like very distinctly, like, school did such a good job. And actually, it's interesting because you and I had different curriculums, like where you're apart from school um, but our curriculum was just kind of like piloted and they're starting to get more of this like social science framework underneath it, uh, which I think is extraordinarily helpful, but a lot of people don't get it. And if we're going into physio and then we're coming out into like the workforce and no one else has seen that before, it makes you ru- like, it feels very, very uncomfortable. You're like, yeah. am I doing this right? Is this like the right way to do it? But you know what? Those people are also taking many courses to understand, oh, this is actually really important. We do need to integrate the BPS model. How do we do it? Um, And I think yoga does a really fantastic job of doing that, at least from a psychological, emotional, mental health perspective. I think there's a lot that we still need to do from a social science perspective. Um, And so, yeah, in in terms of like integrating that into a practice in a way that still makes you feel like you're within your scope of practice, it's difficult because it feels like all you can do is like uh, screen. If you've got like, oh, this person probably looks depressed, they should go talk to somebody. Mm. But you tell them that they're going to be like, yeah, I am. But it's still like it's still not enough. So it's almost like you need to know all of the skills of how to talk to somebody without it being like, I'm going to be your therapist or I'm going to figure out like your housing situation, you know, because you can't. Yeah. It's just a matter of like boundaries too. Like it's really inappropriate. (laughs) You're not the right person to do that, but you can listen. Yeah. And that goes a long way. It does go a long way. It's, um, it's really hard to know where our role is as physios. And it's like really hard to draw boundaries around, you know, this is what a psychotherapist can do. This is what a physiotherapist can do. This is what a personal trainer can do. And there's so much overlap. And, um, yeah, yeah like a lot of my sessions, some, like I had a session last week with somebody that just looked like talking about their, their sleep hygiene. And it's like, that's not really something that we learned a lot about in school. No. That's like completely stuff that is just outside of, you know, but we definitely learned that it was important. Mm-hmm. Um, but how to have those conversations effectively, how to get people um, on board with behavior change, how to coach people through that. Like that's, that's a real skill that um, would be cool to, I'd be cool to see more of like a formalized track of like educating people on these, these psychosocial factors that we know are important, but sometimes we're just like, yeah, they matter, but what do we do with that? (laughs) It's, it's really hard. Like in my medical therapeutic yoga thing, we do cover ways of like uh, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy and positive psychology and it's it's so hard it's like you get the theory of it but how the heck are you supposed to translate that into a person who's in front of you it needs to be very fluid and you also kind of need to be okay with making mistakes which is really hard because like you're the health professional you don't want to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. so 
yeah, yeah. and then people's expectations too it's like you're yeah. my physio like are you not gonna just massage me like we're talking about your yeah. my sleep like what yeah there's just so much education there that sometimes people aren't really ready for that and they they feel like you're overstepping your bounds or it's tough and and it does feel like that you kind of need to test the water it's like how do they respond when I say this one thing and some people will get it They're, they're like they're ready to go on that path with you and some people aren't and I think I remember distinctly this was a Greg Lehman's course when I was I was there in person and he was saying that you know this person came to see him after having chronic pain for a long time and has tried all of these other therapies and he's like the last person that they saw was the right person. They were, they were seeing a Cairo. He did all of the right things. He said all the right things. And she still wasn't ready to believe him until mm. she saw me. And all I did was the exact same thing that her previous practitioner did. But for some reason at that time, she was ready to hear it. Yeah. So there's something really powerful about being like taking a step back and being like, this isn't my responsibility to make this change. Actually, I can give you all the right things. I can be with you every step of the way, but ultimately it's your choice and you have to be ready for it and not take that personally, which has been something I'm really working on. Yeah. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Like if somebody isn't progressing, like we'd think it's my fault. It's like, yeah, but it really is a, it's a two way street. It's, um, and, and that's, that's so interesting that it, it might not be where, you know, you're like, you could be doing things perfectly yeah. in, in theory, but it could just be where that person is in their life. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, that, and that's okay. Like, it, like that's a lot of the work. So this is something I think is really interesting and I would love to see more of the physio group do that. Um, so psychologists or I guess psychotherapists for it, for sure have to do a self-compassion pra- practice. They have to take care of themselves or self-care practice mm-hmm. and physios don't uh don't have to do that they don't even have to do it from like a physical standpoint which is ridiculous because we are literally prescribing like physio yeah um so i think that it would be very appropriate that we double down on that like from a healthcare perspective that we need to take care of ourselves first yeah and like not even just our physical health but our like mental emotional health and yeah. like reflect on that so take you know like, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think so. I think you'd be the first one to do it. Really? <laughs> I had a, I have a, have a, a friend. He's, he's a Cairo at one of my clinics, and he's like, to be a good therapist, you got to deal with your own shit. Yeah. Yeah, you got to deal with your shit so that you can hold space for their shit. Yeah. And I take that to heart. So I'm, I've like, I've made sure that I only work so long. I recently cut down my hours at one of my clinics so that I can literally go to a Muay Thai class and I have never felt better. I was like, I need exercise right in the middle of my week and it needs to be hard. And now I'm back with my therapist again, like going to see a psychotherapist, a psychologist. And I'm like, this is the most important work because if I care so much about helping people, I really got to make sure I'm on the right mind space. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that many people, like I'm just two years out from school. I don't know that many people that haven't flirted with like burnout, straight up leaving the profession, um, you know, drastically reducing their hours. Like it just seems like something with the way the current, at least in private practice, the way the model runs Mm -hmm. isn't super sustainable to like mental health and, and, um, and getting, and it like the, the problem is that it really translates into your, your, your patient's experience, right? Like if you're burnt out, you're no good to anybody. Um, but it's really true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of sad because like, what's the solution? Like, pay us more that means everything's gonna get paid more and it's true like it's really hard i i really struggle with this model and i've only been out for like one year and half of that i've been working only part-time um so it feels kind of like i kind of feel like a fraud saying this but i'm like i really feel like the system's kind of broken (laughs) you know like from my limited experience and i can't i'm just not somebody who can like sit and be like you just need more years of experience or you need to settle and like just accept some truths I just rather not like I'd be like why not change something if it benefits everyone involved and I'm mm-hmm. not the only person who's saying that I'm saying I'm seeing so like you said so many people who are burnt out and just kind of accepting this fate like we're we're so young we're still in our 20s but like, yeah. do you want that to be the rest of your life uh there's just better ways to help people and I'm, I've really been looking and trying to find ways and outlets to do that yeah so where do you see like in an ideal world where would you like to see the profession move i think that we need a lot more training um i think that we need to incorporate our um we need to have more of a teamwork model i think like this can't just like we talk about like interdisciplinary practice 
but it is so hard to talk to someone's doctor. Like, I am like, what the heck? And like, or even like, oh my gosh, it would just be so, like when we work in clinics that have a naturopath or a psychotherapist on hand, I'm like, this is great. We need more. So ideally it would be like a teamwork setting. In the perfect world where time and money weren't constraints, every single person would have a wellness team. And it Mm. would just be this part, like you would have this ability to like come in and like everyone would talk about what's going on, just like we would do rounds in a hospital, but it would be for each person and it would be to their best like interest at heart. And I think we want that. I think a lot of people want that. It's just logistically, we don't have the means to do it. And I think it needs to also exist beyond just like a, you're coming in for a half hour or an hour. Like everything we need to do is within this time because that's how we're, that's how we're billing you. Yeah. Um, I really like the idea of a membership model. I think a membership where you are taken care of within this month that you paid, no matter what, if you need a call, if you need an email, if you need a referral, if you need a massage, I don't care, but at least you're here and I'm taking care of you every step of the way. But wouldn't it be better if we had like a group of people doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really cool model. And even baking in like software that kind of allows people to track their, you know, behavior change and, um, yeah, we're just very entrenched in this kind of session by session. You're in for 30 minutes. I'll see you in a week. Um, and then, you know, maybe I send you an email or I send you, you know, some yeah. exercises or whatever it is. But um, it could be so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely gotten to the point where I'm like, if I'm seeing somebody once a week for 30 minutes and one of those sessions is like, let's go over your exercises, but I'm going to massage your neck for most of it. I'm like, I'm just making you, I'm making a friend out of you. That's all it is. Like, that's the most therapeutic part of this is like, we get a chat and we get to have good like one-on-one time I get to hear like learn about your life I'm just gonna listen I'm not gonna give any advice I'm not qualified to give advice about xyz but you know we could talk about something like sleep hygiene if it comes up but I think that's literally the most therapeutic part of that it's just like yeah I'm massaging your neck but in like two days it's gonna go back to the way it was it's gonna be the work that they do on their own so if I can help build like this like belief in them that they can do it and excite excitement about like why they're doing it if in our time of just massage or manual therapy, if you will, um, I think that's probably the most beneficial thing that people get out of our session. So why does it have to be so structured in that way? You know, like I'm just seeing so many holes and I'm not the only one who sees it. So why aren't we talking about it? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very strange time. Like when I think back to being in physio school and just imagining getting out and just, you know, once I graduate, everything's going to be so easy and simple mm-hmm. and smooth. And, you know, people are going to come to see me and we're going to do my man, my magic techniques. My magic and, techniques. you know, they're just going to get better and oh, life's yeah. good. And I'm going to be compensated beautifully and I'm going to yeah. have good work-life balance. Like, it's just, there's so many things that I feel like I don't want to bash the profession, but I feel like I wasn't really told yeah. beforehand. Like, if you could, if you could go back and give yourself some uh, a couple pieces of advice um from like like while you were in school or Mm. before you went to physio school what do you think it would be oh that's a really good question I would be like well I would let them my previous self know it's not going to be an easy journey but not for the reasons that you think like you'll be able to get the grades and get by and like do well in all of your internships but the real struggle is going to be you're going to go into a profession that doesn't know what it wants. And so you can either choose to go along with it and find a way to get a good paycheck and live your life. And that's fine. Or you're going to have to face a really tough battle and you need to be aware that that's what you're entering. And I think like hearing that as like, I don't know, how old was I when I got into physio school? Like 23, 24? Um, would have been hard, but also like super important. Like, like, let's just be honest. We're inheriting a profession that was magic hands and this is the manual model technique and now everyone's teaching us biopsychosocial but those people who are teaching us are in their 50s and 60s no offense guys but and we're gonna have to inherit that so it's up to us to decide what we want from this and we can't just keep going along with the ride and be like this is what everyone before us has done because we're the ones who got screwed with the exam we're the ones who got screwed with covid so yeah gotta step up to the plate yeah it's a profession it's a profession in an identity crisis yeah i'd say um and one of the like strange things about being a physio now is when you graduate you typically get a you know you you come onto social media 
you know, physio Instagram. <laughs> and this is another thing I wanted to touch on. Um, and you just have like so many different voices yeah. that are just spouting their opinions Yeah, and it's so overwhelming and confusing and you're trying to develop your own model, I guess, yeah. of how you want to be a physio. Um, and it can be really, uh, un, like unsteadying. Um, so I was curious, like, I, I, I know that you're on a bit of a social media vacation right now yeah. for a bit, which we've both taken <laughs> over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, like, what do you think the impact of having something like Instagram, where there are all these voices, has had on you professionally, personally, you could take that wherever you want to, or on the profession yeah. at, at large? This is a very good question. Like, you yeah. know me so well, because I've definitely used that <laughs> that word. Like, there's too many voices. They're all in my head. <laughs> For the record, I don't think I'm a schizophrenic. But I will also yeah. say that it has been extremely difficult um, at least with myself, I've always been somebody who's like very open-minded and I like seek for truth and I love to learn. And so when you're on social media and there's just like an abundance of information, like thrown your way, you stop thinking, is this a credible source? And you're more like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the wrong thing. And of course, if you're in a caring profession, you want to do right by the people you're working with. But if you're reading all of this and it's coming at you and you're expected to do X, Y, Z, but also here are the reasons why X, Y, Z doesn't work. And also you don't have another option. You're just going to get yourself overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I take frequent Instagram breaks now because it's just too much to see everything of what everyone's saying unfiltered. They can say anything they want. And even if you have something to put out there, it's, you can refute it. We know this by Twitter. Yeah. Um, and so it's been it's been really hard. And I think the best thing I've been able to do is just be like, look at my own data. It sounds weird because you're, you're not supposed to put so much emphasis on anecdotes. But if you look at your own data points and like look at the people that you've helped and you look and see like why, what's the pattern here? And I'm like very understanding that this pattern is probably going to shift all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's like, how are you helping the most? you're just you're just being a good person it sounds so stupid but it's true yeah and like there are definitely things that you need to know like i think at the at the very baseline you need to make sure that you can distinguish between a medical emergency and not like something that you you can't help and this person just does need to see somebody else but after that you're you're kind of just you're just hanging out and it sounds so silly and like hokey but you get to choose how you want to do that with a person and yeah when we kind of take a step back and we're so in our heads, oh my God, we're so upper uh, in our heads uh, about, about our life lives in Toronto. Like everyone's so like, I, I got to get to work. I got to get a house. I got to like get married, all these things. You forget that like we're, the, all of this stuff is just so esoteric now. Uh, <laughs> you get as esoteric as you want. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, it's just this need for control. Like we want to have control over our lives and we want it to mean something. And so, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Like, if you look at why you do what you do, it always comes back to that, in my opinion. Yeah. And even sometimes, like, uh, in our in our clinical encounters, we're so fixated on, the, like, the progressions, the next goal, like, yeah. where we're going with the patient. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Do you, have you ever read any Carl Rogers stuff? No. So he's, he's a psychotherapist or clinical psychologist, one of, like, the pioneers of clinical psychologies in the mid 1900s and he talks about this idea of like unconditional positive regard mm. as a precondition for effective psychotherapy Interesting. Um, and I think that just having that relationship where you're giving somebody a trusted source of support and uh, feedback uh, and just creating like like just some of the moments you have with a client whether or not you're necessarily working towards some concrete goal yeah um just like like you've said so eloquently um just kind of teaching them to have a relationship with their body yeah uh it it, it isn't necessarily like you're gonna say in your in your soap note teach client to have a relationship with their body I would right do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i would definitely do that uh, but that's effective uh clinical practice i would say isn't it right yeah well i mean um, that's, that is a big thing if you want to get scientific about it yeah uh, it's important that people understand interoception when it comes to chronic pain and that gets definitely uh mixed up when you're dealing with chronic pain so helping people build that relationship back with their body isn't just like emotional psycho health no. it's actually physical and if we're talking about pain science and so much of what we do is pain science like you cannot refute the fact that everything affects pain and so you can yeah. literally talk about anything, yeah. right? So 
it, we're we're stuck between a rock and a hard place where like learn pain science get the pain science right educate the people about pain science but also know that you're a biomedicalist wrong but anyways that's what the culture tells us as physios mm-hmm. um and so sticking stick to your lane we can't do that anymore like you have to reconcile the fact that both of them are important yeah. and that you need to find out what you're good at and like help a person from that standpoint but don't like I don't know. As much as we all want to have magic hands and we're the ones responsible for making everyone feel better, that's yeah. not your role. Sorry. So, yeah. yeah. So having waded through all of that, what would you say, like, if you had to boil it down, are some of the, like, foundational, like, principles by which you practice? Like, if you could have, like, a, a you know, a guidebook of things you always try to integrate, like with clients, like what would you yeah. say your your oh, commandments of, of physio for each? That's a tough question. Yeah, this one I really actually wish I. I, had I asked my last there. student this on her exit interview, and <laughs> she was like, "Oh God." <laughs> Poor student. <Yeah. laughs> she must have been so sweating under the collar like I am now. Um, the guiding principles. Well, so I. This is gonna sound like something I can't quite. I'll try to put it in words. Yeah. When someone comes in, like I make a little bit of small talk. I meet them for the first time. I literally try to gauge, like, what's their tone of voice? How are they with me? Are they nervous? Do they warm up when they sit down? Are they excited to talk about what they're talking about? You just, like, pick up on all these little cues, and then I just kind of, like, match them. Like, not, like, consciously, but, you know, if someone's high energy, and they're, like, a total bro, and they want to talk about, like, getting better at, uh, I don't know, running... I'm up there. I'm like matching that energy. And if someone's like really excited about that, you know, their recent workup plan, but they got hurt, I want to be there for them. But if someone's like, I've been dealing with this problem for a while, it's like quite embarrassing. And I get that a lot with pelvic patients. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want to bring things back down because it is scary. It's nervous. And so my guiding principles are like definitely meet people where they're at, like find out where they're at almost immediately and match that. It's a great one. Yeah. And then also like, don't be afraid. And also education. I think education is a big piece. That's just kind of like where my strengths are as I love to talk, if this hasn't been evident already. <laughs> um, and so like finding ways that you can integrate educational pieces that are relevant to them. This is something I'm trying to figure out. How much do you give and like how much, like like when do you give it and how much versus like slowly giving a little bit of information week by week. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always humbling when you ask somebody, what was your takeaway from today? And they're like they say something that complete like you didn't even know you said yeah <laughs> you like, oh, thought you did this beautiful job educating them about like hurt versus harm or whatever yeah. and they're like what yeah 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 it's, it's tough um and that's oh my gosh that's why i'm like if you had like you spent all this time afterwards sending them emails and getting all this information because you know they're not going to remember half of what you said and you're like wouldn't it be easier if there was like a way that they could log on to like a pre-made app that you had or whatever that had all the information and they could find out things for themselves. Yeah. You know, like just, we just got to get back better at this guys. <laughs> Our sessions can't just exist within 30 minute, 45 minute sessions. So, um, yeah, that's an aside. Another thing I think would also be like exercises, exercises they would actually do at home. Like mm. it could be like, I, I understand people don't want to exercise. I'm that person. If you gave me like do three sets of 10 reps of this every day, I won't do it. I know I won't. But if I were to like, if, if someone were to be like, do five sit to stands every time you get up from the dinner table, I'd probably do that. Yeah. Um, so finding ways that like match people's personalities to get them to exercise that way. I think I'm decently good at that. What would you say? I mean, cause that's a real practical point for a lot of physios. Yeah. You come out of school, you're like, okay, just give people these exercises on physiotech or email or whatever. Yeah. What strategies have you found to make that more effective and, you know, to get them to actually do them. Uh, <laughs> Talk me through that. Oh yeah. Um, I think I'm very lucky because I've picked places. This is like, I was very, um, picky when I was looking at places I wanted to work where I was like, I need to get people who are really actually interested in their health. Cause I know where my strengths lie and I'm not good at convincing people to actually give a shit about their health. Uh, like please have a little bit of that before you see me. Just like a little bit. I can I can run so far with you in that direction. But to convince you that you need to at least go for a walk, I'm like, oh man. Hmm. So so that is an, like, I like to know where their baseline is. And then I definitely love to tell them as like a, as a, like a, 
a woman who likes to like exercise and get strong, then I'm like, look, you're going to feel so badass when you do this. Like, I promise you by the time you're done with me, uh, you're going to be able to do 10 push-ups. That's my promise to you. Nice. And, and I show them like how they're able to like push themselves to get to, even if they're just like really sloppy and ugly push-ups, like, but they can do it. They're like, oh, I could do more than I thought I could. And when they can see that they are like limiting themselves before they even try it, I think that builds a little bit of momentum. Yeah. Then you have people who are just already excited to exercise. Basically, I want to make sure that they can, that I can see them exercise. They can see themselves exercise before they leave the clinic yeah. so that they can prove to themselves that they can do it at home. And I also, I don't say overprescribe, but I'll say do this every day, not expecting them to do it every day. Like I don't, I wouldn't do it every day, but mm-hmm. I want them to try. And so they'll earnestly come back to me and they'll be like, oh, I only did it four times this week. And I'm like, great job. <laughs> you yeah. did it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they get, they're like, oh, you know, this was a trick. And I'm like, of course it was. <laughs> Shoot high, That's, knowing that you'll aim somewhere on the... It's so know. interesting thinking, because, I mean, I don't, like, as physios, we don't often have a lot of our own healthcare encounters, like, as yeah. patients all yeah. the time. And you forget how anxiety-inducing it can be to, you know, show up to, like, somebody that you view as an authority figure, or, yeah. like, a healthcare provider, whatever, there's yeah. this power imbalance, and to say, like, I didn't hold out my end of the bargain, yeah. when we're like, no, literally, like, it's yeah. all good, yeah. <laughs> you know? You're okay. We, like, three out of five is awesome, Yeah. you know, but it's just, I don't know, finding a way to, like, impart on the person that um, there's a minimum effective dose, yeah. and it doesn't need to be perfect, yeah. and, you know, perfect is the enemy of good, Yeah. we just need progress, yep. as opposed to perfection. So I, I was curious to, like, for somebody who doesn't understand, we've talked a lot abstractly mm-hmm. about how yoga could be integrated into physio, but what does that actually look like? Do you throw a yoga mat down in the room? Like, tell me about, like, to somebody yeah. who really has no clue, like, what right. even physio is or, you know. Yeah, so I have a I have a bit of a sporadic, like, take on this. Like, I've tried doing, um, like, yoga-based physio as, like, a separate thing that people can uh, like take um and it's definitely still physio we still do a subjective assessment we still do an objective assessment from the point of view of yoga moves even yeah and like breathing which is super cool but it's still physio so part of me is just like is it really worth like making a separate thing when we're still doing like something that's very like wellness driven and still like goal oriented mm. um so it depends on the person so sometimes like i will do a guided meditation for somebody at the end of a session because um, a lot of my principles are based off of like how the nervous system responds to different things that we do. Um, like, like that's a strength training works even, but like if someone has a lot of pain, I'll be like, okay, let's like try doing a body scan and I'll like do a med- guided meditation for them. I love doing them. That's why I do them. But also like, I think patients really enjoy them when they realize, oh, like when I relax, actually my pain does diminish. And so yeah. it's really interesting. Sometimes I'll like do this very simple stuff that all physios already do. Like, hey, let's do a cat cow or a cat camel, depending on. And then I'll talk them through like how to do it with breath. And then sometimes I'm like on a roll and I just want to like create a flow for them. So I'm like, here are the pieces that I know you need to work on. Why don't we create a flow that you can do every morning rather than do five sets of this, six, like, you know, six reps, blah, blah, blah. It's like do this flow like three times, get into your breath, get into your body and make it like a little routine in the morning. Yeah. That works for some people. That doesn't work for everyone. So, yeah, that's a big piece. Interesting. Yeah. It just it brought me back a little bit to the home exercise thing. I um one of the things that my buddy Adrian said, which stuck with me a while ago, was that he tries to really very like make it very concrete, like where and when they're gonna do their their okay. exercises. So like for somebody who say needs to work on shoulder flexion, so like yeah. you get in the shower oh. while you're you know while you're I there, like that. you're just gonna do a few wall slides, yeah. just five, like because yeah, yeah. that's something you do every day. Yeah, and so you can kind of attach the habit to a habit that that already exists. Yep, and then you don't have as much resistance to uh, which I found really cool. I don't know. It's it's a real challenge, like getting people to yes. engage in their in their care and. I thought that was very smart. <laughs> I think, no, that is a very smart idea. And it actually yeah. jogged my memory. I think something that physios should focus on, like it should be a part of our curriculum, is learning to help people with their habits. Yeah. Like I'm going to probably reread Atomic Habits by James, James Adam. Clear. Clear. Yeah, James Atomic Clear, Adam. I think. James Clear. I think you're right. Because okay. um, <laughs> he has some really good practical advice that I've used for myself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have patients who I know their goal is I want to be able to form a habit so I could do this on my own. Duh. Like we want to have people to do things on their own. We don't want them to keep seeing us as much as we'd love to uh, for the rest of their lives. Um, so how do we do that? We don't just tell them to do these exercises for the rest of their lives. No one's going to do that. Yeah. They're going to get bored. So how do they 
come into knowing like what helps and like how do they get self like interested in like learning more you know uh, yeah what, what principles of habit change would you say have kind of like resonated most with so you? just like what you said about your friend adrian habit stacking is the easiest thing to do so something that people already do they need to keep doing alongside this new habit um, and then making it easy. You got to make things so easy so that they don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So that's when I would say that you actually do want to invest in having a physio that you see regularly so that when you don't see them anymore, you have this already ingrained. And so mm-hmm. I think it takes about like, I know they say like three weeks to form like to form a habit. I actually think it takes more like six weeks. Like you need to like not think about it. You are, you need to have it like an itch in your body that if you don't do it, it'll feel wrong. Mm. So when I have a patient actually right now who that's her her goal she wants to have like healthy habits like healthy movement patterns but she just doesn't feel motivated to do them on her own at home mm-hmm. so i'm like great just keep seeing me like every two week, twice a week keep seeing me for 30 minutes like we'll just keep exercising that's all we'll do we'll have benchmarks you'll be able to show that you're getting better like i promise you you'll know that you're getting better and then there's going to be a day where you're like wow i i missed physio and i actually feel like i need an itch to move in my body and yeah. that's when you know you have the habit so building yeah, yeah building that pattern is yeah, it's tough, but you just need to keep doing it until, and I think that's when having a coach or a physio is like the most important thing. You need someone to stay accountable to. Yeah, and, and that's one of the real powerful justifications for actually seeing somebody for a good amount of time. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about, you know, getting somebody self-managing as soon as possible and, yeah. you know, trying to, you know, get people off your caseload, so to speak, and yeah. make people independent. But sometimes, like, if you see somebody for... 8, 10, 15 sessions and it's um, it, it keeps them accountable. Yeah. Like they, they might actually sustain movement habits for, you know, months or years to come. Whereas if you kind of just said, oh, you're good. Like yeah. here's a pamphlet or yeah. here's, you know, just keep it up. Like yeah. <laughs> life gets in the way, right? So yeah, I'm sure there, yeah. there must be research on this. Yeah. Like it seems so, so intuitive. Uh, mm. Maybe not in like the physio world, but like maybe in the social sciences in terms of habits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about yourself, I think about myself, I've paid so much money to coaches, like yeah. an insane amount. And I think that they're the most valuable, the most valuable investment I've ever made. Like, n- not to diss physio school, but everything I've ever learned about exercise has come from my five years of paying a personal trainer. And I can teach people how to do a proper squat and a deadlift, not because of physio school, but because of my personal trainer. The physio school helped because now I know good anatomy. And so I can justify, I'm like, oh, this is the reason you can't do this. And like, don't push it. You don't want to hurt yourself. But like, I don't know, like that body awareness stuff. And that's why it comes back to like, you need a self-practice. If you're going to be good with somebody, you need to know your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Coaches need coaches. Like, I think it's so important yeah. to just keep. And and it's also so interesting. Um, like you recently forced Laura and I to get into Muay Thai. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, and it's just, it's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is the, the utility and kind of cultivating a beginner's mind Yeah. and finding a coach or some practice where you are like totally, you come from the outside and you, yeah. and you just get a sense of what it's like to learn something for the first time. And it gives yes. you empathy for your clients who are like learning a squat for the very first time, you know, yeah. like we, it just seems so routine to us and we yeah. almost kind of blast through it and just okay you're just gonna sit down and whatever yeah but for this client it's like whoa like I've never learned this in a regimented way before like they're dialed in they're you know yeah adrenaline is high and I don't know and they're nervous and they're scared and they don't want to be a fool I get it I appreciate that so much I'm so glad you said that I had a patient on Friday whom the week before we were talking about (laughs) playing the guitar and he's a very talented guitar player and um so I was like, okay, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring a guitar in next week because I'm having some trouble with these songs. We'll do this after the session. I want to know like what your thoughts are. And he seemed so lit up by that. And like better yet, the week after when he saw me show up with my guitar, he's like, oh my god, I can't believe you actually did this. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm a woman of my word. So yeah. we played guitar for a little bit, and I was like so shy and sheepish about like getting things wrong. <laughs> and it was so interesting to have that reflected back at me he's my patient. I'm the one who's like trying to hold space for him when he's not able to do things right. And I celebrate his victories and I'm able to easily, simply, and like kindly adjust things when he's not doing them quite right. And he was doing the same thing to me. And when I said, I haven't picked up my guitar in a while, I just feel really weird about like how bad I keep getting at X, Y, and Z. He's like, 
but you need to keep doing those reps just like I need to keep doing my reps, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're so right. Yeah. So that was a really beautiful learning experience. You can learn lots from your patients. That's probably my favorite thing about physio. I'm like, my patients are so interesting. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, um, yeah the human element is what makes it fun yeah. and special. And it's so, um, yeah, it's, it's worth remembering for any new grad who feels like they're out of their depth that like, yeah. the patient is more out of, like when they come into the clinic yeah. it's a they're taking their time out of their day to come in to see you and they have no clue what's mm-hmm. happening you just need to guide them through something that yeah. seems coherent yeah. they don't know anything they don't like do you know what i mean so, yeah. so, so, like some people do of course which gets tricky if you're yes. treating like a another physio or a physician but yep. the majority of lay people you don't need to overcomplicate it no. it's just the very basics can get people really good results which is yeah. always nice to remember i also would say and this is something that i just it wasn't even another physio who told me this but i was like feeling so insecure about not providing value like i came from a um, a world when i was back in calgary that it was like you needed to be able to do something like dry needling or you needed some super cool technique so that people could actually feel justified paying you. And I felt so like, it's such a classic like new grad. You're like, I don't have enough tools. I don't have enough things to keep doing things with people. And I'm like, that's where you're wrong because I actually think that people do pay us because we're the medical experts and our job is to give opinions that are grounded in what we know in research, what we know in clinical experience, and that would be beneficial for that person, like curating the words to create that so that they hear you. Mm -hmm. Um, They're paying for your opinion and they're paying for your education. They're paying for the years that you took to develop this. And I think that in itself is incredibly valuable. And so that took me some time to be like, oh, like even if I have an entire session where it's just education, if they come away from that and they learn something very valuable, then that was definitely worth its time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You think of going to a physician they do some tests and they tell you, look, nothing sinister. Yeah. You'll be fine. Maybe follow up in six months. Yeah. And that's like, oh, okay. I'm yeah. glad I went. Right. But we don't give ourselves the same kind of no. authority, even though. Because people are like, I'm paying out of pocket. It better be worth it. Right. And Gotta that's pretty shitty. Or... Yeah. yeah. And it is shitty. It is shitty when someone throws a machine on. Like yeah. you don't feel validated. You don't feel heard. You don't feel like you're getting any benefit. Maybe you do. I've definitely done things with shockwave and ultrasound with people and they've definitely gotten benefit. Yeah. But the idea is you're building that human connection. Physiotherapists are like people, people. Like we got to do that first. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in a really unique position where we get to spend a lot of time with people. Yeah. Where a lot of medical professions are just like they don't have the, yeah. the, the time. So it's definitely that, a privilege. I love it. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and particularly like I know our clinics are pretty good in that we we do have the time to really get to know people yeah. and it doesn't feel rushed and yeah like that is a privilege because i don't know 15 minute in and out like it's just it would be so yeah. hard it's hard enough it's and hard, even yeah. in the 30 45 60 minute model yeah um, so yeah no it's uh hard to navigate what the right what the right balance of it is yep yep yeah um so i was curious to ask you violent transition about <laughs> about breath work (laughs) Um, because I know like that's obviously a huge part of yoga yeah and I'd love your perspective on how you integrate breath work into physio right this is my favorite I'm so glad you asked me this I love everything to do with breath like if I had to do one thing only with people I wish I could just do like breath work which almost made me go into cardio rest until I realized I'm afraid of hospitals so (laughs) it's a true fact I'm afraid of everything to do with the hospital Um, so breath is a magical tool Uh, the reason I like using it and the reason why I think it's a very fascinating uh, modality to help hone in on is because it has a unique principle property of being able to modulate our autonomic nervous system by that I mean I mean for people who listen to this who aren't physios um, it's like you're able to tap into that parasympathetic response that fight flight freeze by modulating your breath and there aren't many ways else you can do that I know that there's this thing called tapping that some people really like I don't fully understand it but I think that the tools that help you learn to take yourself from one state of being to another is like a very very powerful tool that we need to like learn about so breath work is like that for me even just taking like long slow deep breaths um or even like soft breaths i would say is a fantastic way to be like okay we're gonna change how you're responding to this moment just by like slowing things down and helping people see that they can get there even though they don't feel like they could theoretically in their mind but they have to do the practice themselves 
gives them an incredible opportunity of control and onus and be like, I'm okay, I'm grounded. And to be honest, like I learned this because I was somebody who would get very easily get caught up in my anxiety, right? So like it was very crucial for me to learn how to modulate my breath and how to like mm-hmm. calm my nervous system because it feels like my my heart rate would go like 100 beats more than they should and now, you know, you feel like you're dying, you feel like everything's wrong and you start to spiral. Okay, let's just slow down the breath. Let's like modulate it, increase the exhales. There's a little bit of knowledge and be like, if you want something more invigorating, you increase the inhale, the time it takes to inhale. And if you want something to be more relaxing, you increase the time it takes to exhale. I also do a lot of like breath um, practices. They're called pranayama in yoga uh, to help just like slow things down in a different way. Like one of them is called alternate nostril breathing. Hmm. And the yogic philosophy, the idea is you're you're balancing the left versus right. I actually don't care. It just feels good. Um, and I like the concept of balance. And I think people like symbol, like doing something that symbolizes like balancing yourself is a very powerful thing. Like like a, like a symbol. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we do other kinds of things. I don't do too many invigorating breaths because I just think that people who are in pain don't really need that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like I talked to them. I'm like, would you be interested in doing some breath work? And most people are down. They get it. They understand. And I also will say that breath work is vitally important for pelvic. Like Mm. I just, it's what we're going to do. And people have like a lot of trouble with that, but you can easily describe just how the relationship between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor are like in tandem. So you need to understand how your diaphragm is working and work with your pelvic floor in tandem. Otherwise, if you get those wires crossed, you're going to have problems. That's a lot of dysfunction there. So for somebody who isn't versed in pelvic floor physio, take me through the nuts and bolts of how the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to dive into that. Sure. So this is, um, this is, this is from Julie Weeb's piston analogy. So the idea is like the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work like a piston in a car where they work together. So the diaphragm has like this, like, I don't know what this is, concave, convex, Concave, I think. I think it's convex. 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 And so does the pelvic floor. Like in tandem, they're both like right. smiley face brackets to each other. Yeah. Um, and so when diaphragm ext- um, contracts, it actually flattens and it moves the contents of the abdominals like out a little bit is the theory. Mm-hmm. And this is, makes sense because there's only so much pressure. It's a closed pressure system in your abdominal like area your trunk so when everything moves down so does your pelvic floor your pelvic floor naturally descends so on an inhale your pelvic floor descends and the benefit of that is that you can use your breath breath to relax all of the contents of like your muscles in your belly your muscles in the pelvic floor that can help lengthen those muscles that are sometimes often chronically tight which can cause all sorts of dysfunction incontinence pain with sex that kind of thing so when we're doing things with people who are like having these issues and we do an assessment and i'm like noticing oh you have a lot of like tone in these muscles like tightness mm-hmm. um we're going to work on breath works so we're going to focus on breathing in and out and you're going to practice every time you're breathing in you know you're relaxing the pelvic floor and i would use all of the most ridiculous analogies all of the visualization techniques mm-hmm. and it works but they're always like just the most ridiculous things and i'll talk to you about that later uh, <laughs> and so on an exhale what happens is okay the breath is leaving the body the lungs are kind of like shrinking the diaphragm is going back exhale exhalation is passive right so the lungs the diaphragm is going back and so the pelvic floor is also going up to make room for that that's how pressure systems work right they Mm -hmm. they respond to that pressure change and so when you're doing a kegel like a pelvic floor contraction you want to do that on an exhale right and i can't tell you how often people are like this is so not intuitive and then I try to explain the science and it's not helping because they're like, I don't give a shit about the science. It's not useful. <laughs> and I'm like, you're just going to have to go with me here. So I use a lot of metaphors. Do you yeah. find within like a few minutes, you can usually get people to yeah. sort that out? Or does it sometimes take like weeks to... Um, for it, Yes. So, you know, they get it in the session and then they go home and they forget and they do it backwards. And they're like, it's weird. My pelvic floor exercises are making things worse. And then I'll assess them and I'm like... So how have you been breathing? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, I got it backwards. I'm like, yeah, it can happen. Um, so I try to be very explicit on my emails being like, when you inhale, you relax. <laughs> and it's still sometimes tricky because it's like tapping your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. People just have that trouble of coordination. It yeah. takes time. Keep practicing it. Be kind to yourself. It'll get it there one day, you know? Well, I really like the piston analogy because it, um, like one of the things that I've seen a lot of yogis, honestly, mm-hmm. do clients that I've had 
is they really just focus on the like belly breath thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, how do I get my belly as forward as possible? But they're not really expanding in yeah. all directions. Yeah. Like they're not letting that pelvic floor descend. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be a huge light bulb moment for people when they feel like, oh, like I can actually get air into other areas that usually aren't getting any sort of expansion. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of that concept, even just for back issues that's right you know or yeah like just what areas aren't getting any sort of expansion yes (laughs) where's the breath going and a lot of people I mean there's a lot of talk about there's no wrong way to breathe you know there's no dysfunctional but I mean I I will say if somebody's um if they have pain in an area in an area um and they're breathing in a way where there's zero motion through say like that part of the rib cage yeah and I can get them to breathe in a way that does expand that part of the yeah. cage, and then they feel better. Yeah. I'm not, you know, giving them some narrative that's nasibic that's saying like, yeah. you know, the way you breathe has always been wrong. And you yeah. d- it's like sometimes you just give people a bit of a light bulb moment yeah. and you're like, okay, here's a drill that if you're feeling off, you can yeah. integrate once in a while. Right. And then they're set. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. <laughs> so. I get that. I get that there's like, there's no wrong way to breathe. Maybe it's just been like. I'm just so in the philosophy of it and I just love breath work so much that I'm like, oh, but you can get so much out of a good breath of air. Yeah. Like imagine always feeling like you're a little bit suffocated because you can't catch your breath. Like how much does that did, like go into the rest of your life? Like you feel like you, you don't have the right words to say how to act in the room. I don't know. Like breath is everything. It's like, it's huge. And this is like my yoga philosophy. Like you do pranayama and it's, it's like chi energy. It goes through your whole body. And the idea is pranayama helps like navigate that energy, those energy blocks and stuff like that. Um, but I love what you were saying about like the expansion stuff. A really good thing that people can try is like, if you're ever in child's pose, like try taking deep breaths and think about expanding through your back. Like Mm. no one ever thinks about that, but hello, there's signs to back it out. We prone people who don't have, who can't breathe because they need like air to like posterior lobes, right? Like everything matches. It's like, it's the coolest thing to go through your your yoga training and then you go through physio and you're like oh my god the connections are like plentiful there's yeah. something here you know yeah the breath is such a fun um way to get people to learn about their body in a like and, and it's also such a lovely way to start a session yeah you get somebody like winding down and just like tuned in and you know like yeah. take, like i have so many clients who when i get them to try to take a full exhale it's like this very strange, <laughs> short, sharp thing where they yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah. on. It's like, is that it? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, and, you know, sometimes I wonder whether some of the benefits of just like aerobic exercise, even just vigorous, you know, weight training, you get people breathing. Like that's one of the variables that's changing is yeah, that's a good the point. cadence of the breath. And yeah. I mean, like we're always working in multiple systems at the same time, right. no matter what our intervention is. So that's a good point. We often forget that. I like that. Yeah. But it's, it's so fun to be able to be creative, right? Like if somebody comes with a neck pain, there might be one therapist who does soft tissue. There might mm-hmm. be one therapist who does, you know, scapular exercises. And there might sure. be one person who just gets them on their back, breathing into their you know, expanding the posterior aspect of the rib cage, and yeah. all three might get results for different people. Yeah. Um, and I guess the beauty of it's trying to figure out in your population who's going to respond to what and yeah. and when, right? That's yeah. where the art of it is. That is, it is an art, and that's like why you got to meet people where they're at and not take that personally. Like, so somebody who like, I find it's really interesting when I ask people if they've ever tried yoga. They're like, I've tried, but I hate it, and I'm like, okay, so don't do yoga. It's not for you. You don't have to. I'm not somebody who believes everyone's got to do the same thing. I'm like, find something that helps you connect better with yourself, that helps you slow down. If it's not yoga, who cares? Yeah. It's going for a walk. Happy with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people are so wired these days. You got to find the best thing. Only this. I know. I hate it. But yeah. also, I get it. I get it. We don't want to be wrong. People hate being wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, definitely an uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> yeah. I've also, like, the thing about, like, the yogi, the, the physio yoga stuff that we were talking about earlier, like, how I might integrate that into a session. The sessions where I am doing just yoga with somebody, they're so fun. So I always start and end with a meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just getting people grounded and being here. And this sounds bad, but I never plan my yoga sessions. 
ever. I never do. I, I don't even do my classes and I plan them. It's more like, where is the next step? Like, how do I respond to this person? Like, you need to have all of your knowledge. You need to have everything at your fingertips. But then you get to pull from whatever you want, depending on how this person's responding. Yeah. And I get really good, like, we get really good results because it's not about you. It's about them. So you're just, like, noticing what yeah, they it's need. it's like a little dance, right? It's a dance, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that you don't plan your <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. It's the worst. I really try. I try to, like, my previous preceptors are always like, just like imagine like take the people through a plan in your brain and i'm like this is like climbing a really hard hill and it's like you have no oxygen that's what it feels like to me because then you get there and you're like oh they didn't want to do this in the first place and then you're like why did i plan it i just wasted all this energy yeah yeah i it's an interesting question i eh? like how helpful it is to actually plan your sessions and i think yeah when you're starting out it's useful to think yes. through i, I had a, a mentor who said like you should have an idea of what you might do if somebody's doing better than they were last time, an mm -hmm. idea of what you might do if they're doing worse, mm. an idea of where you might go if things are exactly the same. Yeah. But once you have kind of a framework yes. for how you practice, you yeah. don't need to be so rigid. Yeah. And sometimes you can pigeonhole yourself in, in a way that prevents you from maybe doing the, the thing that's right for them on that day when... You know, you're like you're so set on this one exercise progression yeah. that you wouldn't go down a rabbit hole that you you know you might have if you're more yeah. flexible. So it's tough. It really depends yeah. on the kind of person that you are. I think like yeah, I I definitely like I'm like if I'm not my on my sharpest, I need to like make sure at least I have some ideas of what I could do with somebody. Yeah. But on a good day, I like I just trust myself. I'm like I know it's gonna be fine. But you need to know where you're at that day to like yeah. make sure you don't screw up because it's not about you, right? It's about them. So yeah. Um, one of the really interesting. Like something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like the the set kind of but like mm -hmm. we, we know with with say therapy or even psychedelic experiences set and setting are yeah. really important and I think yeah. the same applies to clinical encounters yeah. like the setting that you're in is obviously really important but the yeah. set that you're in as a therapist right I feel like really impacts things yeah um who you are, what you bring to that interaction, it's all there, right? Yeah. It all impacts everything. So yeah. how do you, tr like, do you have any um, any strategies, tactics that you use to bring your best self yeah. to your clinical interactions? You talked a little earlier about, you know, not overloading yourself. But yeah. beyond that, like, what comes to mind? It's it, This has been a very interesting thing that I've been exploring with myself because I feel felt so much pressure to be, like, this perfect therapist that could work. 40 plus hours a week and see patients and I realized that I'm like I'm not someone who's working on a computer like I can't just be in my own zone and take the breaks that I need I'm there with somebody face to face and it's just me and them and they are coming here and they've got issues and it's my best responsibility to make sure that I can be there for them and I'm not going to be like 100% all the time but at least don't be like in the negatives like I can't be in the reds and be with somebody like that's not fair to them so what I've started doing is, um, like sometimes I'll put like little breaks into my schedule being like, I just need a refresher. I need to like walk. I need to just take, a, like, take my brain off of things. And sometimes if like, I know this isn't, I'm going to confess something, but I did this the other day. Um, I had a patient, I had a lot of back to back patients, like just someone was able to squeeze into my schedule. So I was like, okay, I don't really have time to breathe. And I had a patient that I knew was coming for a follow-up for an ankle thing. And I didn't need to take the full 30 minutes. So I was like, I'm going to let myself be a few minutes late and eat my snack because if I don't, it's not going to go well for him or the next person. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to trust that I'm going to be there for myself, take care of myself and like give myself that time to breathe. And then when I showed up, it was fine. It was good. I was able to do the next session fine and good with them. Um, so yeah, this is something I've had trouble with because you're like, this is 30 minutes. I got to fill the 30 minutes. I have to be there for the 30 minutes and I'm not letting myself like be who I need to be for them. And that's why I find the membership model kind of theoretically better because I can't predict what's most important for somebody if they need a 45 or a 30 if they need more from me if they need less from me yeah I can't fill that time just because I'm supposed to fill that time that really frustrates me um, but I can give them really good value I know that it just doesn't exist in a temporal way but that's not how society works so I gotta figure my shit out <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fit into the box Isha yeah. I don't want to <laughs> Yeah, it's hard, eh? Um, but I guess know thyself, eh? Just, yeah. You do. That's the most important thing. If yeah. you know yourself, you know how to make yourself work. And, like, you can figure out tips and tricks. Yeah. I also need, like, plus eight hours of sleep a night. Like, that's almost non-negotiable. Like, eight to nine hours of sleep has been fantastic. 
Uh, I try to do some meditations or something that's like meditation based, uh, cooking good food, making sure I have good, like, you know, vegetables. I'll know it when I go a week without vegetables. I just like, it's like that itch of like healthy habit. I'm like, I feel it. I need to just make myself a kale salad. So that's what I did yesterday. Um, yeah. And then exercise, regular exercise. I have like, a, I have like uh, an Excel spreadsheet of all of my like expenses and I have put everything in my fixed column is like, I need to at least make this amount of money because this is like the things that I need to pay for. And in my fixed column is my Muay Thai classes. Yeah. I'm like, I have to, I have to pay for these. I have to do them. I can't. It's like a grocery bill. I don't know. You know, yeah. it's the same, like it's the same thing for me. It's, yeah, it's so brutal when you see people in the healthcare, like, just stop taking care of their own health. Yeah, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. I think it probably happens to everybody that works in, like, a demanding job to some degree. But yes. finding, finding, you know, like, figuring out how much you need to pull back um, while still making it work financially and still true. doing right by your patients and yeah. staying sane. And it's just, like, it's a balance, but it takes a bit of trial and error. It is. And I would yeah. say, like, I would say, like, if you're in a privileged enough position to do that, I think it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. I think if you're in survival mode, you got to do what you got to do. And there's like, um, like much respect to that. That's tough. I yeah. won't, I won't speak on that. But if you're in a privileged enough position where you've got a little bit of help and you're in a caretaking role, like in your work, it is your like goddamn responsibility to take care of yourself. Cause you can't fuck up other people just because you're trying to make a buck. Like yeah. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Mic drop moment. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I said the bad word. <laughs> you have to, uh, you're gonna make me evaluate the uh, this the censorship oh, rule. I've never I've never had to go down this road, but we'll see. <laughs> I did ask. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you wanna you wanna touch on or anywhere people can? Yeah, I guess where can people find you? Yeah, I guess for now you can find me at on Instagram. I'm physioyoga. Dot yyc because I'm this was made in Calgary and I had no idea where I was going to end up. Um, <laughs> will it stay that way for long? I'm not sure. Um, will I be on Instagram anytime soon? Probably not, but uh, that's okay. That's where you'll find me for now. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>